Hi guys, this is Luke Lewis here, and you're listening to Talking with TK. Guys, welcome to episode 112 of Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. We are up to the last episode for 2018, and I've got a real treat for you. I'm bringing in Louis, Luke Lewis, absolute champion who won premierships across both the Penrith Panthers early in his career in 2003, and then later in his career, where was Clive Churchill medalist in 2016, breaking the hoodoo and bringing the Sharkies their first premiership. So I've got a lot to be grateful for being a Sharkies fan to Louis. I actually grew up refereeing Louis. He was in the under seven, 16s and 17s and then through Conavero Matthews and Estuary Ball as well. He was someone even back then. His whole running was second to none and he was just one of those players that you just knew that was going to make the grade and he's just got a great backstory and it's something that I think you know, everything that he's been through, I think is going to touch you, leave you inspired and motivated to do some, some some of the things in your life. So a big thank you to everyone that's tuned in this year. It's been a big year. We hit the 100, 100 episode milestones, whether it's your first time here or you're a regular. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Do definitely catch up on any episodes. I'm only going to be taking a couple of weeks off. So I'll be back on the 8th of January. So that's literally in two weeks, just in a couple of weeks. Just the chill out, I've got plenty in store for 2019, already recorded plenty of the content for January, but into the new year, there's going to be some spectacular guests coming on, so really looking forward to bringing you all the different stories from across all the different sports. At the moment, we're focusing on NRL and rugby a little bit, but that's going to change during the year, and if you've always got a suggestion, please get in touch if you're enjoying the show or if you've got suggestions for 2019. Please hit me up. You can do that at Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. It's probably the easiest way. I always answer my own email. You can also DM me on Twitter or Facebook. The pages are TalkingWithTK or Instagram. It's Tristan Nell. I'll follow you back. So definitely hit me up on any of the social media channels. Please continue to share it with your family and friends. If you want to give me a Chrissy present, if you've got access to your podcast app, particularly Apple Podcasts, if you can just log on, just search Talking With TK, and if you could leave me a review, just really helps me continue to be seen by more people. There's been some absolutely awesome reviews coming through, so I really do appreciate anyone that has been leaving them, but if you haven't yet, please check it out. If you want a, if you want an easy way to access the show, probably online, www, the website, www.talkingwithtk.com. It's got all the episodes on there, as well as links to the different podcast apps. All right, guys, excited to bring you the last episode for 2018, and I introduced Louis Luke Lewis. All right, guys, my special guest today is Luke Lewis. Luke is a legend of the NRL with his distinguished career spanning 18 years, 324 first-grade games, two premierships in 2003 for the Panthers, 2016 for the Sharkies. He represented New South Wales in 17 Origins and also played 16 tests for Australia. I welcome to the podcast, Luke Lewis. Thanks, TK. Good to be here, brother. Absolute pleasure, bud. So, mate, first things first, congratulations on the book. 
it was an absolute outstanding read. I read it in two days. I usually take four months to read books. <laughs> Mate, welcome to my world. It takes me four to six months to read. But yeah, look, I'm glad you I'm glad you enjoyed it to be honest. And um yeah, I'm glad it only took two days because my whole plan behind it all uh, and writing and I said to Alan uh, when he was doing it that uh, mate, I want it to be an easy read and yeah. I don't want people to you know, have to put it down and sort of forget about it and then come back. You know, if they can read it sort of in one or two days, um, that'd be perfect. So it's been a lot of good feedback and um, appreciate yours too. Yeah. Before we rip into the book, first thing I want to know because you kept something very, very quiet into 2018 and that was the fact that you had arthritis. Now, our Shark supporters and NRL supporters, we knew that you were struggling with things like your calves and some of the other areas of your body. But when I'm reading this book, man, like for you to get through 2018 the way you did, mate, can you explain the mental and physical kind of toll it had on you? Yeah, you know, to be honest with you, um, it started back in uh, actually 2015. Yeah. Uh, we, went on, we went on a, a camp up to uh, Terrigal and uh, I was actually rooming with Mickey Ennis at the time and I was sitting down. I just come back from a run. I said to Mickey, geez, my knee's killing me. Eh? I can't bend my leg. And he goes, he, he was thinking, mate, you can't be that bad. Come on, surely, yeah. you know. And anyway, I was sitting there, sitting there. Anyway, I tried to bend my leg and I had this little bit of a sort of a cut in my knee from a, a surgery that I had probably about three to six months earlier. Okay. And I uh, bent my leg, bent my leg, and my, my knee blew up with so much fluid that the skin ended up popping and my leg just spurted out, fluid everywhere, going all through Ooh. the kitchen, all over the uh, floors. Mickey was looking at me, he was dry reaching, he couldn't believe what he was seeing. And um, anyway, I got, jumped in the car, drove straight home uh, to the doctors. The doctor seen me, sent me to a, a specialist and um, he diagnosed me straight away there and then that I've got rheumatoid arthritis. Now, uh, what it was, it was basically sort of fluid going into all my joints um, and just blowing up, you know, to a crazy amount of uh, fluid in my fingers, elbows, sort of everywhere, I mean, uh, shoulders, knees. And every time you sort of get a little bit of an, uh, an injury, your, your body would always blow up with fluid yeah, in okay. excess amounts. Yep. Uh, so yeah, mate, I basically sort of uh, got on top of it from there and had to take the had to go through all these um, you know, different medications uh, to make sure I got to the one that I needed to get to, which has been outstanding for me for 2018. But so, mate, I've basically been on about 2,000 milligrams of anti-inflammatories every week. Wow. Um, so I was taking 200 milligrams in the morning, 200 milligrams at night. And then every second week, I had to take a, a um, injection called Humira, uh, which is uh, to help with my rheumatoid arthritis as well. So, yeah, mate, it probably took you know a good four to six weeks for that to get into the body and actually work. Um, and that's basically sort of how I treated, I suppose, from 16, 17, and 18 um, to get on the field. So it was sort of a week to week sort of thing. Um, you know, if you didn't take it, your body would break out into this crazy rash, oh, wow. which become like a psoriasis, I suppose. And it was a, um, yeah, that was sort of a, a sign that the the arthritis was getting pretty bad. So, um, mate, it's a little bit, uh, it'd bring you down a bit mm, uh, when you see it and uh, you'd feel a bit flat. But, mate, look, um, the, the best thing about it all is that the doctors got me fit and got me right. And mm. I didn't miss too much football. Um, so I, I was pretty happy that I got to play. You know, 15, 16, and 17 without too many hiccups. And 18, my body just started to break down a bit. Um, yeah. Purely, I, I think, because obviously uh, age is probably kicking in, but at the same time, I think the arthritis was sort of really starting to play up a bit. Uh, just taking you know, all those, that amount of drugs for so long, um, I think my body just wanted to get off it. So since the Melbourne game down yeah. in Melbourne, I haven't touched it. So it's been amazing. It's... Um, to get off all the anti-inflammatories and actually feel probably the best I've felt for a long time. I feel fit and uh, really enjoying um, you know, being away from football and, yep. and still training on my own behalf. Yeah. 
You played footy, what, about 105 kilos? Yeah, around about 104 kilos most of my career. Yeah. Uh, most of my career in the forwards. Yep. Uh, started off, I think, back in the day around about sort of 83, <laughs> 84 and sort of just slowly built my way up. Yeah, what's the plan now that you're retired? Are you going to shed a little bit of bulk? To be honest, yeah, I sort of want to sit under 100, around yeah. that sort of 98 kilo mark would be nice and uh, try and get my skin folds down as low as you can just for a bit <laughs> of a challenge. But, yeah, look, I, I've been very lucky uh, to meet a, a great bloke, Travis um, Young. Uh, I play footy with his brother, Luke Young. Yep. And uh, he's got a lot of good connections with all the boys through rugby league. And, mate, we get down there in the off-season train together. We're still training together now. And, mate, sort of get that um, team sort of uh, environment. sort of thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's... Maybe get a little bit of banner there, which is good fun. So, um, you don't, at the moment, I'm not missing footy at the moment. So, it's been good. Yeah, Luke, just mentally, you know, when you made the decision to retire, you know, you finally had that kind of end date that it would be kind of all over. For you, hurting as much as you were, did that make it easier to deal with and get yourself to that to that level? No, not really. It was funny. I mean, body was sort of was going through something uh, in the preseason. Yeah. And I started to think about it. I was thinking maybe this is the last year. I'm not too sure, but I'll, you know, make my decision halfway through the year. Yep. And I've done me plenty of fascia. Um, mm. You know, game one up in North Queensland, the captain's run. Ended up missing three weeks before I got back on the field. Again, that was from a, um, arthritis. Yep. And then come back, played two or three games, tore my calf. I mean, oh, now I'm starting to get frustrated. And then I thought, okay, no, don't make any rash decisions. Just wait, get back on the field, tore my other calf. I was thinking, what's going on? And then... Uh, Anyway, I got back on the field. And I thought, you know what? I think it's time to call. I had a good chat to my mum, my wife. Uh, sort of told them how I was feeling, what I was thinking, and I sort of just come out of it at training one day in the video session. Just told the boys, I said, "Listen, we've got opportunity sitting in front of us. I don't want to let this opportunity go, and um, you know, let's just give everything we got for the rest of the year. And you know, I, I don't want to retire, you know, wondering that um, we've got a great side, but we've done nothing with it." Mm. And the boys sort of looked over and said, "Oh, wow, so you are retiring." And sort of just come out. Um, and then I got the opportunity to sort of come out on Fox and tell tell it. And then when I sort of told everyone from there, my body sort of went, okay, I know that we're trying at the end of the year. I'll get you through the rest of the season. Yeah. I end up playing the rest of the, rest of the year. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't um, you know, probably the best year that I ever had when it come to injuries. But my calf kept playing up on me. But it, it, it gave me enough to get through the rest of the season and playing those semis. And, Are you glad it, that Matty Moreland put you through that gap so you yeah. still show you got a bit of pace? Mate, it was good. Uh, There's always a great feeling. It's, I think, to be honest with you, the most I'm going to miss from rugby league is that split second of when you hit a hole and yeah. it just everything sort of goes real slow for a couple of seconds and then you're sort of into it. That, that's the gotcha. part that I'm going to miss the most. So, um, yeah, I was glad I got to experience one more time before I finished. Yeah, for sure. All right, Luke, let's rip into the book a little bit now. Before we go to the origins in Western Sydney, the thing I want to talk to you about is there's two great quotes in there. It's I'll read them out to you. It's obviously the harder you work, the luckier that you get, yep. and everything happens for the reason. For, yep. for a reason. For a reason, yep. Now, the amount of coincidences in this book, I'm going to read them out to you and get your thoughts on them. Yep. So... First one is, Melbourne Storm is your first and last opponent, and you play them away. Panthers, your second last opponent. You've won premierships at Cronulla and Penrith, who both came in in 1967. Your childhood hero, Brad Fittler, comes back in Game 3 of your first Origin Series, and you guys win. Flanner was your first rep coach in Junior Kangaroos, and he coached you to a premiership. And then your first Kangaroo Tour was in 2003, but you didn't play an actual test until six years later in 2009, and then you go on to play three, four Nations finals in a row. Like the amount of coincidences that especially just come through your book, man, it's, 
I don't think I've seen anyone, especially in sports, have this many things that are kind of lining up. Like, what's your kind of belief behind all this? Yeah, look, it's it's when you point it all out, it's actually crazy, yeah. to be honest. But um, yeah, again, like I do say in the book, uh, everything happens for a reason. I'm a big believer in that. I don't know why. Um, Where'd you get that from? I don't know. Actually, when I was a young kid, um, I think actually my mum might have said it to me. She goes, "Listen, it's not meant to be. It's not meant to be. Yeah. But, you know." It will make sense in time, and that was that was it. I sort of just went, okay, yeah, everything happens for a reason. And at the time, it doesn't make sense, but in time, it will. And the time it actually really hit me um, mostly when I believed that was when I left Penrith. I was thinking, why in the hell do I have to leave Penrith? I love this club, you know. Mm. I've always um, grown up here, supported Penrith. All I ever wanted to do was play for Penrith. I wanted to win another grand final with Penrith, and you know, all the uh, drama sort of happened. I had to leave, and then end up over at the Sharks, and. Um, I didn't know why I had to leave at the time, but in 2016 on grand final night, that's when it hit me. That's when it made sense is that I got to experience a grand final at Penrith as a young kid, just coming through with a club that I loved and idolized and looked up to and supported, but I never had my wife and my, my daughter with yeah. me. So well, that's another little Yeah. Thing, so yeah. that night I got to go over to Cronulla, um, win the grand final with my wife and my daughter. And if you rewind back to 2012, when I had to make the decision to what club I went to, I actually had a dream one night that I was going to go to the Sharks and win the grand final. Yeah. So um, I just followed my gut. I had a really good uh, bloke that I trusted a lot in Petro Seven Deceiver, and he said to me, he goes, Louis, if I could give you any um, advice, he goes, don't go where the money is. Just go where you think you're going to be happy, mm. and wherever you're happy, the money will come later. So I sort of just took his advice, and I went to sleep on it, and that's when I had the dream. Yeah. And um, what, what happened in this dream? Is it vivid? Yeah, it was it was crazy. I went to sleep. I remember I was pretty stressed. Um, I went. I, I ended up falling asleep. I was thinking, what am I going to do? Who do I go with? I need to make a decision. You know, I don't want to not have a contract next year. Yeah. Um, I know I'm not at Penrith. I had a lot of really, really good opportunities to go to a lot of different clubs and just trying to think which one was going to suit me best. And um, Anyway, I went to sleep that night. And I remember I had a good chat to my manager uh, prior and he said to me he had a, a deal uh, from Cronulla, which is a pretty good deal. Yep. So anyway, I fell, fell asleep and thinking the next morning I woke up and I, this, in this dream anyway, um, it's me um, running out in a black, white and blue jersey on grand final night at ANZ Stadium. The place was packed and we were in the first grand final, walk around the um, doing a lap of honour. We went back in the sheds. We were on the bus. We're coming down uh, the main drag of um, Cronulla, which looked totally different in the dream, but we're coming, and there was just people partying, putting their hands up, and had signs <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Um, and that's basically it. That was the dream. And then I woke up, so I've got to go, I woke the miss up, so I've got to go to Cronulla at 3 in the morning. And <laughs> sure, uh, just tell me in the morning. So <laughs> anyway, I was so excited. I don't think I ended up really going back to sleep. 7 o'clock, I rang my manager. I said, get the deal done at Cronulla. He goes, are you sure? I go, 100%, just wow. get it done today. Anyway, at 12 o'clock that day, I went out and signed the deal. Yeah, were the and, Tigers, um, you know how you had a really good relationship with Tim Sheens? Yeah. Until that point, were they ahead of the Sharks? Well, yeah, I had a really good um, sit-down with Timmy Sheens a couple of times. Yeah. And um, I've got a lot of respect for Tim Sheens. He, he's a very smart coach, probably one of the best coaches I've ever been coached by. And to have that opportunity to you know be coached by him at, at a club level was something that I really wanted to do. But he did say to me he wasn't too sure how it was all going to pan out, even for himself at the time. And, um, you know, I was in contact with him a fair bit, but I said to him, I've got to make a decision. He goes, look, he goes, I don't know if, if I'm going to be here. Mm. So, um, look, I didn't want to sign a deal and say I want to get out calls if Tim Sheen yeah, wasn't there and yep. then have to leave. So um, I just said to him, oh, well, I think I'm going to 
out to follow me go. I had a dream that I was going to win a grand final at Cronulla. And um, he goes, yeah, no dramas, mate. And, and he ended up leaving the Tigers anyway. So uh, everything, like, again, happens for a reason. And, and that night, um, I suppose, it pointed me in the right direction and it was awesome. Yeah, thank God you didn't join South and you did. <laughs> Well, I nearly even went to I nearly went to South back in two thousand eight, but that would have been amazing too when you think about it. Um, even became nearly became a Chookies junior. Yeah, back in uh, back in the day when I was uh, out at Penny, I, I was trialling. I never got the letter. Yeah, and I went and trialled for the Roosters and, and got picked for the Roosters to play Harrow I think it was. I can't remember if it was Harrow or SG Ball, but um, yeah, I was going to go out there and play for the Roosters, and then Penrith found out and actually said, "No, we've got the letter here," but it just never got to me. Yeah, uh, but. Yeah, lucky it did, mate. I got the to play for the team I supported for a long time. Yeah, let's rip into Western Sydney now because we're both from Western Sydney. Yeah, you grew up in Doonside and Plumpton. I grew up in Quakers Hill, but yeah. the memories that kind of, especially around Narren Gingy, I remember being there kind of every weekend. Now, first question: What's your biggest love about Western Sydney? Biggest love, uh, I think, just my childhood mateship that I had. Yeah. To be honest with you, um, when I think about um, where I lived. When if all my mates in the same street, we had like a little, I can even picture our street, you know, we had a beautiful little block and little cul-de-sac. Um, we had mates that lived, you know, three, four mates lived in uh, the street right in front of where my yeah. house was. I had two or three mates down to the left of me. I had one really good mate at the right. I had my best mate who lived directly behind me. And then just around the corner, I had a few older guys that were my, uh, my mate's brothers. Yep. They used to love playing cricket and playing footy out in the uh, footy out in the road. So, um, yeah, just there alone, just with that kind of group was amazing. And then also had some really close mates that I played footy with at Blacktown City yep. who lived probably three or four streets away. Was that Maddie McConnell and the boys? Maddie McConnell yep. um, I grew up with and still best mates with him now. He was my best man for my wedding. You know, Luke Mason and all these other guys that were sort of just around the corner. Um, you know, he used to come to my place. We used to go for a ride. And then we used to always meet up mine because it was sort of on the way to Narangingi. Yeah, yeah. And then we used to ride down Narangingi and then torment the rangers down there and just get it, you know put logs out the front of their um their gates and just get chases mate just to sort of i suppose be a kid and have a bit of fun it was all harmless fun yeah. so um yeah just that sort of upbringing and that was awesome and you know there's some really good memories and there's obviously obviously some uh, crappy memories as well yeah i wanted to talk to you about maddie actually because to this day from my whole refereeing career He's the hardest player I've ever seen play on the field. Yeah. When he was at Terra Sancta, because he used to play in the front row at Terra Sancta, he used to, because I used to stand usually between the A and B defender, so the first and second yeah. guys there, he used to pick out whoever the biggest was and try to run over the top of him. <laughs> I think the only reason why he didn't make the NRL, I reckon, was maybe he was lacking a little bit of size, and because he kept running at the biggest guy on the field, I don't think... He would have not had as much juice as he did at the start of his career. How did you kind of find Matty? Well, Matty was awesome. I used to love playing. We still love, you know, getting opportunities to play touch with him now if I get the opportunity. But, um, yeah. yeah, look, I think it's probably timing. Um, and Matty was a great player, especially, you know, coming through our juniors. He played yeah. representative football. Um, did he go to Parramatta for a little while? He did. He went to Parramatta. Yeah. Uh, he played at Penrith. Uh, he was ridiculously fit. He was one of those guys that was just super fit. Yeah. Um, he had a real good pain threshold, uh, and he loved his footy. But um, I think when we were sort of coming through that time where everyone was sort of getting picked in, you know, going from that um, Harold Matt's SG ball to the next level, I think um, his father passed away. Okay. 
and went through a bit of a rough patch. Yep. And that was, that was pretty hard on him and, he, and his mum and his family. And yeah, him and his dad were very thick, very, very, very tight. Um, and his dad used to take him to all the games and he was pretty much his number one supporter. Okay. And um, yeah, it was it was tough on, you know, not just Maddie and his family and, and yeah, all, all his mates, you know, we, we knew that he was, he was doing it tough. But um, that's when I go back and, and say that, um, you know, timing was everything, but I, I think he just sort of, yeah, if, if his father was around for maybe another t- year or two, yeah, uh, yeah, I reckon we probably would have seen me in first grade, absolutely. Yeah. What was it about you and Matt, your relationship? Because you guys were best mates since childhood. And to, a lot of people don't have childhood. You know, you guys are 35 now. Yeah. What was it about your kind of relationship that just kind of stuck? I don't really know, to be honest. I think we just... Um yeah, we just got along. Uh, we played played football together at Layla Park. Yep. We come over to Blackdown City, play together. Um, yeah, he was always one year above above me. Um, lived just around the corner. Uh, probably total opposites, to yep. be honest. So uh, that's probably why we're good mates. Uh, <laughs> even to now, like I'm not, I'm not a big drinker. He's a massive drinker. Yep. <laughs> I'm not a rat bag. He's a rat bag. So it's um, got a car. Yeah, it, it's good, mate. We just got a real good mix, and uh, we both, you know really love to train so he loves training he's a personal trainer now yep out of chatswood uh fitness first okay and, um i love training so we used to always get together and do you know a few side sessions and, mm-hmm. and keep fit and yeah i suppose that was basically i suppose what kept us together we just we enjoyed each other's company but at the same time we enjoyed you know things away from football and, and having a good time yeah now through the book and i know you've spoken in interviews you describe yourself as not the most talented junior from observing you on the field, though, there was something that, yeah, you might not have scored the flashiest tries, but something that was evident from the start was your ability to hit a hole and anticipate the defence. Where did that come from? Did someone teach you about that? Um, no, not really. I think, uh, obviously, just been around the game for a long time, ever yeah. since I was probably three or four years old. I was always uh, down at Lala Park yep. um, playing juniors or training or watching football, playing touch football, watching my mum play touch football. Uh, watching my mates' brothers play, I was just watching football all the time. I was just a footy head. Yeah, um, could never take a footy out of me, um, out of my hand. And I remember I was probably maybe nine years old, and I was watching the Ladder Park A grade team, and someone hit a hole. I thought, oh, how good did that look? And then yeah. it's all I ever wanted to do. It was just run through a hole with people standing there, just run through a hole, and, and you know, step the fullback. It was just something that I always sort of. <laughs> pictured in my head so um i tried to really work on it to be honest and then we had a couple of really good coaches um through our junior career who mm-hmm. sort of believed in having line runners and that was basically i just sort of put everything into working on uh running a hole so uh, the only way I, the best way i can probably explain it is that the drills that we used to do at train we used to have um you know four guys in the defensive line and they'd go sideways yeah and then the ball, the ball player would have to come across and pick like pick a hole runner, gotcha. Yep. But had to square up before he passed the ball, and I was thinking, oh, we don't even do drills like that anymore. But it was an awesome drill to teach the halfback to come around a corner, play square in a play that he wanted to get. Yep. And the only way you could score is either throw a dummy and slide through, yep. or play short and hit a line runner. Ooh. So that was the way that it, that it was. And um, there been a few hospital passes. There was a few hospital day. passes. There was a couple of head clashes all back then when we were kids, but. Uh, it also gave you a bit of courage to, um, I suppose, to to learn to run that line and yeah. um, and and how to sort of change from here into there. So, it is um, from that probably game at training. I actually I fell in love with just that feeling of going through untouched. So, 
I really tried to work on it as hard as I could, and um, then it all comes down to combinations with your halves and yeah. uh, building up that trust and that relationship that you know, knowing that he's not going to uh, put you into too many hospital passes. Yeah. All right. The favorite part of your book, mate, is your chapter on your mum and both of your openness to talk about what happened to her and also the relationship that you guys have. It's, it's quite unique. And obviously, you grew up without knowing your dad. So first thing, first question I want to ask is, Lewis, your mum's maiden name? Yes. Yes. Uh, my name's, uh, my mum's name was Sharon Lewis. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, my name was put in as Luke Lewis. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not too sure what my dad's last name is, to be honest. Okay. I have never even asked the question, but um, I'm pretty sure it might be Sim. Okay. But... Uh, I think it is actually, but anyway, um, yeah, I never really uh, met him. He, he, Mum's never said a bad word about him. Yeah, uh, I've always said, you know, he's a gentleman, uh, but I've never had the chance to actually meet him, and I don't have any animosity about that either. You know, um, I think he's given you a few advantages too, because yeah. your ability to open up and be vulnerable, I think that comes from you having some really just great women in your life, such as your sister, your mum, your wife, and yeah. your grandma. A lot of people don't have that, you know, especially you being a rugby league player, there is a stigma that you have to be this tough guy and you don't yeah. have to talk about relations, like your feelings and stuff. But you seem to be able to do that quite well and that's something that I think that is one of your gifts, mate. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I've definitely had been surrounded by women. Um, like you said, my mum, my nan, uh, my sister, um, even my auntie, my, my, my cousins. But, um, yeah, it, it's been... I suppose I wouldn't know any different. Yeah, and uh, I've got, and it's gave me a lot of respect for women and, and what they do. For and sure. Now, um, you know, being a bit older, being a dad, um, and seeing what my wife does yep. uh, for the two kids, I I couldn't do it. Uh, no you know, chance. It's hard work. It and is. I take my hat off to all mothers out there that, you know, especially the single mothers out there that are, um, yep. you know, at home working hard. But uh, you know they wouldn't change it for the world and you know it will all come back to them when they get a bit older and, and the kids can give back um and they realize what they've what your mum done for you yeah and for me i, I realize now i never realized back then i used to always say to my mum too she'd say i don't want you to hang out with that bloke because he, he could be it's bad. i don't i don't have a good feeling about him yeah. so maybe off your head oh, he's fine he's a good fella no 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 but then lo and behold you know five years down the track um <laughs> she was right yeah you know? so it's, it's important lesson. Yeah, it, it's funny, but you know you got to learn as well as a kid. You got to make mistakes, but um, if you can take on as much as your parents can give you, yeah, and then um, learn your mistakes as you go. Hopefully, you have a pretty good life. Yeah, like I interview a lot of fighters, so a lot of these guys come from a background where they didn't have a silver spoon, and they're in a drive mentality that they want to create something for themselves and create something for their families. Mm. With you coming from a housing commission background, did you have that same sort of drive? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, from the day I started to understand rugby league um, and see the footy cards. Yeah. Back then, we used to have, you know, it used to be cups. We used to go up to the servo and get a Slurpee, and they used to have the, the Australian players on yeah. there. So, they used to collect all the cups. They had every the whole team of the Remember, Australian players. Yeah. And um, from there, all I ever wanted was a football card. Yeah. All I ever wanted was a little cup. And then, you know, just to have your face on there would be was would be pretty cool. Um, money, I never really understood money back then, so I didn't know that was going to come into play or not. But all I ever wanted to do was do that: wear the green and gold, wear the blue jersey, yep. play for play for Penrith, um, and you know, just be on TV. 
it's all everyone to do. And then I remember going to school and, you know, I was probably getting in a little bit of trouble because I was, you know, in high school, I, I wouldn't go to a couple of classes that I didn't like. I'd go out in the footy field and just kick goals or, you know, practice, <laughs> practice me uh, field goals or whatever. And, um, you know, the principal used to come out and he was pretty good and say, mate, just come sit in the office. We can't have you out here. The kids see you. And then some teachers go, oh, where were you? I said, oh, no, I don't really have to do this class. No, you need yep. to concentrate in class. I said, no, no, I'll be right. I'm going to play first grade. <laughs> But what if it doesn't work? No, no, it's going to work. Must sound like a little prick, but um, you had that mentality though. I just had that mentality that mm. I was that was it. Uh, then I look back and after all the books I've been reading, and I, I read the um, what's it called, um, the Secret. Okay, and it's basically law law of law attraction. attraction. Yeah. And um, when I look back now, I was thinking I believed it so much from such a young age that I was going to do it. I think I must have just attracted it, and it's just just worked out. Lucky so, Churchill Medal. Yeah, it was crazy. The Churchill Medal was, um, you know, it's a crazy story. Not too many people, you know, believe it, but I had a, a photo of Jonathan Thurston and his daughter, which is probably a little bit weird, I suppose, but um, I cut it out. It's just a bit of a, a goal uh, that you want to sort of try to achieve one day. Yeah. And I just thought it was an awesome photo of him and his daughter. Yep. And I just wanted a photo of me and my daughter uh, with her holding that Churchill Medal on it on grand final night, knowing that you just sort of give it everything you got, you your body's just sort of draining. You're just yeah. sort of sitting there and you get... That's the sort of picture I had in my head. And um, I used to write with my back of my toothbrush on the um, on the steam in the um, shower every morning, every night. Really? Clive Churchill medal, 2016, Cronulla Sharks. Used to just watch it, premiership winners. Just to write all the time, just on the steam. Never wrote oh, wow. it down physically, just wrote it down. On the steam. On the steam. Um, sometimes you'd come in and we maybe might have been a week we hadn't cleaned the... Um, glass, you can sort of just see it and you keep writing it, writing it, and then get to the end of the um, year, 2016, we win it, and they called your name. Clive Churchill, man, I was thinking, wow, that's unbelievable. Like, there's so many players that could have got it. Yeah. But is it just because it, it just sparked me back to right there and then when I was writing it down, yep. picturing it every day, going to training for a purpose, what I wanted to do, what I wanted to achieve. and um, But in saying that, none of it's possible if I didn't have the teammates around me. Yeah, of course. And, um, and the way that they held themselves you know, on the field and off the field that year. But everything just sort of lined up and worked out perfect. And um, you know, the best thing about it for me is, and I've said this a couple of times now, is that some people actually say, oh, can I look at the ring and have a look at the medal? Yeah. But every time I pull the medal out, I just think straight back. And I, it's funny, I remember the exact team, what we'd done exactly how when we got on the bus to go to the game, how everyone was looking, how relaxed everyone was, um, and, and the way that every player in that, in that team performed that night. And I keep saying, all it reminds me of is the 17 players were there. And yeah. that's legit. I, I sit down and think about some of the performances that the, the players put in that night, and it was just mind-blowing. And you know, for me to get the get the medal was was pretty special, but it could have went to any 17 blokes out there. Yeah, it's a great story. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. Now, just briefly back to your mum, because you're an ambassador for what White Ribbon. Obviously, that's something huge, and you obviously want to get prevention against violence for women. You know, it's something in society that we just need to get out of. But when it first, you know, over your whole life, how long did it take, firstly, for you to deal with what happened to your mum? And then, two, how long before you could actually publicly speak about it? Yeah, well, it took a while because I never really sort of talked to anyone when I was a kid, yeah. uh, especially when we were experiencing it. Um, I, I could never sleep at a friend's house. That was probably um, one little sign that um, I suppose could never really bring up 
to families or friends or anything mm. like that. But I used to always commit to staying at a friend's house and at about 10 o'clock at night, I'd get my mum to come pick me out, yeah. pick me up, um, purely because I was just worried about what was happening at home. I didn't know what was going on at home. I'd get home, everything could be fine some nights. You get home, some nights would just be absolutely crazy, you know. And, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was pretty tough. Then there was a, you know, a couple of nights I'll never forget. And I remember going to school one day um, and I, I was obviously what happened the night before ended up having a, a, um, a bit of a fight on the way to school. Um, you know, got into a little bit of trouble there. I was probably supposed to get suspended for you know, a week or whatever. Um, that's when my um, principal at the time, he pulled me in the office and just said, mate, look, I'm not going to suspend you. Because yeah. all I wanted to do was play footy for the school. We used to play um, in the Panther Trophy, I think it was called, back yeah. then. Got to play on Penrith Stadium. Yep. And I didn't want to miss it, and it was the week coming up. Um and he knew that I wanted to play, and he knew that football was my my only thing that I could actually sort of just be me. Yeah. And um, so he kept me in there. I stopped, still got to do all my my classwork, and he'd always chat to me, you know, 10, 15 minutes, and that's probably the first time I actually opened up about what was happening. Okay. And he'd always sort of bring me in maybe once or twice a week for about half an hour, I'd just have a chat, see how everything's going, and uh, I don't know, I just sort of feel a little bit of security there, I suppose. And, uh, yeah, so that was, that was awesome. Uh, and I got to play in, in the Penrith Trophy, and we actually made the final to, to play on Penrith Stadium. So, um, yeah, it was a couple of um, crazy nights, but that was probably the first time that I actually ever really spoke about it and had someone to talk to about it. But yep. I couldn't even approach, you know, I, want, I couldn't talk to my family, couldn't talk to my uncles, aunties, couldn't How talk old to were friends. You then? Oh, probably would have been maybe 10. Okay. Maybe 10. Yeah. Yeah, so 10 or 11, something like That's around that. That's tough to deal years. with. Yeah, yeah. so. Um, I don't couldn't do anything. I sort of felt helpless a bit, but yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, like I said, it sort of taught me a lot of values and morals, and um, you know, way that you know you have to treat women, I suppose, mm. and and the way not to treat women. So again, I know everything happens for a reason, but uh, maybe I was supposed to go through out and see that, so I could maybe help a bit later. So I, I'm not too sure. Yeah. How big was it when your stepfather Gary came into your life? Yeah. Well. Um, yeah, that was the night where everything changed literally straight away. It was like I met him. Um, Did you trust him straight away? Was well, he I just... literally trust him the yeah. day I met him. So it was weird. Like I don't know what it was or why I felt like that, but um, I can't really put a finger on it. But you know, I shook his hand, met him, and he was just real genuine to meet you and talk to you. Yeah. Uh, I talked to my sister. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just it was a, it was different. Okay, and then literally about probably a week. Later, uh, a friend of mine asked me to stay over his house, and I said, "Oh yeah, yeah I'll stay, I'll stay." Thinking, "Oh no, I don't even know why. Why did I say I'll stay? Yeah. I'm going to go home and look like a soft cop." But anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, I said, "Yeah, I'll stay, I'll stay." Anyway, we end up playing. We we all slept in the bedroom. It was probably, I mean, in the lounge room. It was probably four of us. I remember it. And um, it was at Luke's house, and we we'll probably, I think, we we're playing Seager at the time or whatever it was. Uh, we we're playing. Um, I ended up just falling asleep on the floor, wake yeah. up in the morning. I never went home. Wow. I didn't get to, I didn't get that homesick feeling, what's going on, how's my yeah. mum? It was a huge moment, though. Yeah, it was huge. And then I woke up in the morning, the first thing I wanted to do is ring my mum. So I rang my mum and said, oh, hey, how are you? Is everything all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm all good. What, you all right? Do you want to come home? I go, no, no, I'm all right. She goes, yeah, you're good. You can come home whenever you want to come home. Just let me know. Yeah. And um, I said, okay, I'm I ended up going home about lunch on the next day. I didn't think about going home. I, I felt I just felt safe. Went home and the you know the house was was all normal, um, you know the, the the front door was open and just come home it was just real easy 
you know, and um, I just knew from there on in I, I was in pretty good hands, and um, obviously mum and Gary are still together today. Yeah. Okay, let's talk a little bit about footy now, mate. So the first huge influence on your footy career was Brad Izzard. Yeah. Now, I think a big advantage for you was Brad was a centre 5'8", just as you were, and obviously you supported Penrith since you were a youngster. Yeah. How, how would have been pretty cool to one of your idols probably playing in the exact same positions? You knew you were going to get plenty out of being under Brad Izzard. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love Brad. Um, I actually ended up build, building a pretty good relationship with him. I actually still talk to him today every now and then, you know, maybe once or twice a year. Yep. Uh, sent me a message for me 300 game. He sent me a message grand final night and I uh, got to talk to him. And Yeah, but uh, one thing that stood out for me is that everything he said, I I just took on board. I was just sort of like, he, he'd speak, I was like, you know, and I was thinking, oh my God, if, if he's telling me this is what we've got to do, this is what we've got to do. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he, he actually said in that, and the one that stands out the most is that, you know, there's a lot of good players in here. There's probably only 1% of you guys might make it, might make it. And then he goes, um, he goes, going to be a lot of talented players in here. He goes, but I promise you now, the most talented won't make it. Yep. He goes, if, unless you're willing to work hard. He goes, but one thing I can promise you is that if you work hard, but you work hard away from the coaches, you work hard from when no one's watching, yep. they're the ones that will make it. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I don't really understand what that means. Anyway, so I we went and trained. And then at the end of training, just before I got in the car to go home, I went up to Brad and said, what did you mean by uh, when no one's watching? And he said, well, mate, everyone can train hard in front of a coach. And we call them, they used to call them back then coaches run. So, yeah. you know, the coach watching, you'd run out in front and you'd beat everyone by 20 or 30 metres. And that's called a coaches run. You're only doing it because you know the coaches are watching. But um, he's actually be able to train, train hard, push yourself to, to the limits when no one's watching. Yeah. Not when your parents are watching. When you wake up and you want to go for a run before school or you want to go for a run when you get home from school or you want to go for a run on Christmas Day and no one's watching your train, no one knows what you're doing, no one cares what you're doing, it's just what you want to do. And I thought, um, okay, so that means from now on you basically tell me I've got to train. Whenever I'm not training, I've got to train. And whenever some, when, and he said to me, whenever you think the, the bloke who's going for your position isn't training, you should be training. <laughs> So I thought, okay, so if he's not training Christmas Day, I need to get up and train Christmas Day. So I basically, um, from that day, went home and just trained every day, no yeah. matter what. So we usually used to train probably three three days a week. I used to just train Monday to Sunday. Monday to Sunday, Monday. I'd turn up Sundays and be pretty flat, I remember that. But um, I started noticing results that, you know, in you know, our 5K runs yep. that we used to do for time trials, that, you know, you end up coming first and then your time started getting lower. And um, you weren't trying to do it on purpose. You're just doing it because you're so used to just running 5K. Yeah. And um, it all started to pan out in your favour. Then you started to get opportunities to get on the field and actually playing. And um, and then I, yeah, I basically just stuck to it as long as I could. And then ever since I started to become full time training, um, I kept doing it. But I was finding it a little bit hard yeah. to keep up with doing the training and doing just as much away from training. Gotcha. So I ended up becoming, um, you know, doing. On my days off, I'd still train, but it'd be a different sort of training. It'd be a lot more probably recovery, a little bit of bike, yeah. getting on the treadmill, walking. And, and yeah, that's basically sort of how I stuck to it as, as long as I could. And um, yeah, I suppose the rest is history. Yeah. So Christmas Day this year, Luke, what are we training. doing? You training? Yeah, we've got, a, we've got a crew ready to go. We start at five o'clock at Reborn Fitness out at uh, Tarrant Point. There you go. So as long as we're home before the kids wake up, happy days. Yeah, there you go. But that advice you actually just gave me, I got, I got an interview at Vander Holyfield. Yeah. He told me the exact same thing. Oh, really? That was his point of difference. Oh, yeah. When people weren't watching him, he was just putting in 100%. Yeah. So, 
and it's funny, you know, like I listen to a lot of podcasts, you know, and a lot of the guys say the same thing. You know, it's when you you wake up and you're sore and you don't feel like training. I'm a bit sore today to get the body a rest. That's yeah. when you got to get up and train. Absolutely. You know, so it's a um, wedge, isn't it? Yeah, it's just so when you you know you, um, you get to a game and you're sore and you're a bit flat, you push yourself. Your body's pushed through it. So when you get out and you're feeling flat, eventually it's just going to go away. Yeah. So, okay. um, yeah, anyway, it's uh, it's been a good life lesson, so hopefully it, it transfers into business outside of footy. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right, Luke, you just mentioned a few podcasts, actually. What are you listening to at the moment? My go-to at the moment is Joe Rogan. Yep. Uh, I love listening to survival stories and that. So probably my best one at the moment was um, Cerrone, the yep. do- uh, cave diver. That was pretty yeah. cool. I listened to Tyson Fury as well. That was amazing. It was really good, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, uh, a bit of Elon Musk um, stuff, which has been pretty cool. Did you watch that fight? When he got up in that twelfth round, I didn't get to see it, but it's, I don't know how he got up. I seen the highlights. Um, it was like a movie, man. Yeah, it's crazy. And just go like he was doing it, you know, just for for people out there that are struggling for mental health and you know, oh, what he'd time. been through, and it, it's mind blowing the story that he he gives and puts out there. Mm. Um, Absolutely, I just love him. He's my new favorite. So um, yeah, if you ever get the opportunity to to fight, um, who's the heavyweight at the moment? Oh, Joshua. Joshua? Anthony Joshua. I'll be the first person to be buying it. Let me know when you go on. Yeah. <laughs> Another big moment, SG Ball Grand Final. You guys unfortunately lost. You had a big lead at half time, and the menace, Michael Ennis, yeah. got Newcastle home. Now, that's a relationship I just want to explore with you, because in your book, you rate Michael the best player you've ever played with. Yeah. But you guys had an uncanny just relationship on the field. Like, for a, a hooker, usually it's a hooker 5'8 or halfback that has that relationship but yeah. the amount of tries that he put you on like a little grubber kick that only you could see that you had space yeah, yeah. or a little pass 10 meters out that only you knew that he had space yeah how much time did you spend together was it just yeah explain your relationship yeah, it's funny um mickey i obviously played against him back way back in sg ball and, and played against him over the years and got an opportunity to play origin with him yeah and i just got along with mickey really well um he was one of those blokes that um, on the field, he's probably a rat bag, yeah. But um, to play with uh, as a player, he's he's unbelievable. He's the most competitive, um, you know, probably the most professional um, on and off the field. The way that he conducts himself, he's a family man, and um, I don't know. I was just really drawn to Mickey. Yeah. End up being a really good. Uh, we end up being roommates for for the two years he was there. Okay. But it was funny. Mickey used to give me this look from the day one that um, we started preseason in fifteen, and he goes. And we, we had a good chat about it. He said, well, mate, we've got a good side here, but we've got, he's got to leave from the front. And yeah. he took me with him. And I, I didn't want to let him down. He didn't want to let me down. And we sort of went we went pretty hard in pre-season. We had a really good season. And in 2016, I said, you know, we can't let this, this opportunity slide. So we went, an, went another level. And uh, But Mickey just had this look. He just knew. He'd give me a look for like, you know, probably five seconds before anything was going to happen. And I knew exactly the look that he was giving me, what he was going to do. So he, he was, it was just a, it was just uncanny how it worked. But he gave me this sort of look in, and I knew that he was thinking kick. So I knew I just had to find a hole to get through to get to the ball. He would do the job of getting the ball through. I just got to get through the hole and pick the, and put the ball down. Or he knew that it was close to a line, and there was a, you know a halfback that was standing you know, by himself on a short edge that he was going to come. To, he'd give me a look, and he knew that the half was there, and I knew I just had to try and run a good line and get the ball down. So basically, um, yeah, it was just from a look that we went up getting this really good uh, mateship on the field and understanding on the field that uh, brought the best out in both of us and yep. just bring back the love of the game for me. And uh, Mickey said the same thing for him. He goes, mate, I just he just knows that he can come out and play the footy that he likes to play, which was a bit of ball playing, 
uh, setting up our forward pack to where he needed to set it up and, yep. and be able to come out, run, dictate to the defensive line what he wanted to do and then be able to you know pick his op- options and nine times out of ten he'd pick the right option and um, half the reason, or I believe probably the big reason why we won the grand final. Yeah, an interesting thing you said, you know, you two picking out that you needed to lead it from the front. Now, you two both came from a position where you were captains at other clubs. Now, I think people put a stigma too much on a C next to your name. Was that the point when you guys kind of maybe believed in yourself that you didn't have to be have the C next to your name to be the leader in the team? Yeah, absolutely. I, Mickey, I learned a lot, a lot from as a leader. He's probably one of the best leaders I've ever played with. Um, again, on and off the field, he, he led by example off the field. But the way that he could, um, you know, break down a game in video, the way that he'd get a message across, the way that he got everyone to listen, yeah, and he got everyone to buy in, it was spot on. And you're right, the, the C next to your name is actually more of a pressure than it is to um, even having the C next to your name when I was at Penrith, mate, I, I didn't love it purely because it was a lot more, um, uh, what's the word, probably, you know, a lot more pol- politics behind it, you know, mm-hmm. a lot more other stuff you need to do away from footy that's not football. Yeah. Um, and you need to put your team first, which is which is the good thing. But you can do all put your team first without having the C next to your name and actually still be a leader. Um, without having the C next to your name and actually just sort of putting your hand up and saying, "Look, I want to lead, but I'm happy to help the captain out here." Yeah. And um, you know, as a captain, you can't do it all yourself. You need good people around you. But and- that mix that Flano got with you on the right, Michael Winters in the middle with Biao, and okay. then and Wade on, on the left. left. Yeah. I don't think I've seen a team with like. A spaced out and balanced sort of leadership like that. I yeah. think that was a huge point of difference for the show. Yeah, it was good actually because Wado's, um, you know, very he's very uh, vocal, knows the game very well, yeah, um, and he's a good leader. He's been a leader amongst men for you know from a young age. Oh, yeah, and to have him on one side, you know, leaning the left edge, and I was basically uh, leading the right edge with you know Chatty Townsend. We had we built up a really good right edge team, and um, then you had Mickey and Gow in the middle. Gow was sort of more of a when I say a leader, he'd probably lead more from exam, um, you know, from what he does, kind what of he example. does than yeah, he does yeah. from. He's not a big, he's not a real big speaker. Yep. And Mickey would, um, you know, pretty much lead and, and execute our game plan, mm-hmm. and basically, um, you know, help him and Gal was sort of, you know, just running off each other. Yeah. And uh, we just had a real good mix of leadership, and then at the same time, we had everyone in in between, just uh, you know, just jumping on board with whatever we wanted to do. So. We just had a um, that that 2016 side. The the team was just just really well balanced from um, yeah even from the guys that were coming in and filling in. Yeah. Okay. Back to your first grand final, the 2003. Now that moment, you know, when Gerds put that kick in, you're chasing. Unfortunately, Tom Byrne gets the ball and streaks down the field. Now you might have missed that tackle. You put him off balance a little bit. Now Sat saves everyone. <sighs> Tell me because on the front on you've got yourself and Fats. Just looking directly at what's happening. What was, what's going through your mind when you see Sats chasing Top Boom? Yeah, well, when he come around, uh, Gerd's come around, I knew he was going to put a kick in, and I thought I was going to get through, so I chased that hard. Then I had to stop. It was a little bit wet. And I thought I'd just try and make this tackle real early. Yeah. And I should have, in hindsight, took you know two or three more steps and made the tackle. Yep. Um, I missed him. Uh, he stumbled a bit, and then I looked up and went, oh, what have I done? <laughs> I looked across. I see Sats coming, and I thought... Please just make the tackle. Please just make the tackle. He made the tackle and took him out. And um, from that point, I knew we wouldn't lose the game. But in my head, I didn't even celebrate or get excited. I just went. I was like a sign of relief. Like, oh, yeah, he just saved my ass. You know, otherwise I would look like a dickhead. 
and um, <laughs> I would have let all the Penrith fans down and all my teammates down, and he just saved my bum. But uh, the whole 2003 year was all about you know, just turning up for each other and, and saving each other's bum, you know. And you know, someone might have missed a tackle, but there was always someone that was going to turn up and um, you know, be in the frame to make a, a try saving tackle or be in the frame to you know stop a ball or going, you know, staying in or going out. It was yep. just one of those years. And, um, yeah, I was just so glad to see him send it. But the only thing is, I make it, sorry, but the only thing is I still get, I get messages at least twice a year. Every grand final week he sends me the From video sets. and he goes, don't forget to save your ass. <laughs> so can, you let me live it down. But, um, yeah, but look, it was a great memory. And from that, from that tackle, I knew we were never going to lose. Yeah, Luke, see the start of your career, you know, third season in, you win the premiership. Second season in, you guys made the prelim final, the grand, the game before the grand final. Now, at 20 years old, did you think this was going to happen every year? I did. I actually expected, you know, we, we played a lot of grand finals when we were kids and we had a lot of opportunities to make grand finals. And yeah. Then we played SG Ball grand final. Yeah, we lost. Um, two years later, we played an NRL grand final and we won. And then I thought, you know, 2004, we had a really good year. We, we got knocked out in the prelim um, from the Bulldogs. They ended up winning the grand final. So I was right. I won't. Get a chance. We get our chance again in another year or two. Yep. And then from there, we never got close. Um, we had a couple. Of, we had a really good sides, but for some reason, yeah, everything's got to fall into place. We had a few injuries at wrong times of year. We, we had a few, couple of semi-finals. We had some really tough years where we didn't win any. Hardly won any games. Mm. One wooden spoon. And then um, yeah, I just it just expected to happen. And then that's when I got. I was really disappointed. Um, you know, in 2015, we got all the way up. We played really well. We got up to... We no, missed Cowboys out in the top game. four. Yeah. We should have beat Manly at home. We didn't. Uh, we went to Cow- North Queensland to play then. They flogged us. I had an absolute shocker. It's probably the worst game I've ever played. And I burnt on it. I burnt from that day all the way through to the opportunity to play North Queensland again. Yeah. I couldn't wait to play it. I, was, I just wanted to play North Queensland yeah. just to try and get it back. And we had a um, really tough running with North Queensland for a couple of years and they always brought the best down you. And they had a great side and... Yeah, I just couldn't forget that night. So, um, yeah, we, we beat them during the year. We had a couple of tough games. and But I knew when it come semi-final time, 2016, when we had to play them, yeah. I, was, I was ready to go. I, I was mentally just the only game I was focused on was that game. I just wanted to win it so bad. Obviously, we we're going to get to the grand final if we won, but I, I kept remembering the game 2015. So it was a bit of a revenge thing? It was a revenge thing yeah. purely because I played so bad. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't North Queensland's fault. Just really. to make up for it. It was just my fault. Yeah. And I didn't want to um, do that again. And uh, all the players bought into it as well. We, we had a replay back in of the game in 2015 and what they'd done and how they turned up. And they were just physically bashed us all over the field that yeah. night. And uh, we thought, okay, well, if we're going to have to win tonight, we're going to beat, go, we've got to go to a different level. And, um, yeah, it ended up working in our favour. We had a really good game that night and we won. And from there, I thought, oh, mate, we're going to be hard to beat. And uh, I had a really good feeling about uh, grand final week and it obviously worked out in our favour. But um, the whole week leading up to that, we just relaxed. But at the same time, we'll, we'll spot on. And grand final uh, week 2016, uh, the captain's run, it was the worst captain's run I've ever seen. Yeah, Chad told me. Yeah, we, uh, we dropped. 30 balls. We couldn't catch a ball off the kickoff. Fecky's dropping bombs. Dro- dropping bombs everywhere. We're throwing the ball. People were just dropping it, and the wind was getting it, and it was going behind us, and it was it was just yuck. What did you say to the boys? Because um, there's only three of you that won a comp. Was it you, Jimmy, and Heiner? Heiner, yeah. And when, um, 
oh, the message that came across is that grand final, grand finals aren't one on captain's run. <laughs> Everyone just laughed it off and said, oh, well, we jumped in tight and said, boys, let's just turn up tomorrow night and give it anything we've got and see where it takes us. Yeah. Got on the bus, went home, and that was it. Everything was normal. Turned up um, ca- uh, game night, and we, I think we made two errors the whole game. So Spot I'm on. sort of glad the way the captain's run went. <laughs> We'll talk about the grand final in a sec. You know, the game you just mentioned, I watched this thing on YouTube, the greatest tries that weren't. You never know, you scored. Just, yeah, never scored. Yeah. Now, that game against Manly, do you remember that one where you you, you kind of vow dropped a bomb, right? And it trickled and you kicked it down the touchline and then got it and then you flicked it back into Val. Yeah, yeah, And then he streaks away. That's on one of the greatest tries yeah, I've never scored. I remember that try. I actually, um, yeah, someone sent me the video of it uh, back when it happened. And it was uh, the balls going out over the sideline. I just grabbed it, ended up just sticking to my hand somehow, and I threw it back in. <laughs> and when I threw it back in, I looked, and I was doing the perfect spot. I was thinking, how the hell did I just, how did that just work? But uh, again, it was just sort of um, right, right place at the right time. But yeah. um, would have been nice if it didn't come off Val's hand and it was a try. But yeah, look, um, that just brings back good memories and you know some oh, fun times that we had. Yeah, and you were that yellow jersey or something as well. Yeah, it was something I don't weird. Know what it was I can't remember now. I think it was some sort of cancer, with, something. Um, Maybe. Yeah, it's like a. Oh, I can't remember now. Yeah. I think it was like safety, like work safety or yeah, something. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Luke, talk, talk to me about meeting Brad Fittler for the first time because yeah. he's your idol growing up and you're on your first Origin duty. Like your first Origin series, you hadn't even been to an Origin game. Yeah, that's right. So it's, it's pretty huge that all of a sudden, because, you know, the first game, Sean Timmins kicks that field goal. Second game, you guys lose. Third game, well, Freddie's already retired, and Phil Gould's brought him back. Yeah. How did it make you feel to to be playing with your idol, man? It was crazy, because I remember driving home after game two, I was thinking, oh, fuck, we just lost. I hope I'm in game three. I just want to I hope I get picked for game three. And, um, you know, it'd be nothing better to play with, you know, Brad Fittler, because I was talking about Brad Fittler coming out of retirement, and I said, could you imagine playing Origin and Brad Fittler come back and get to play with me your childhood here? Now, I got the opportunity to play against Freddie, and I got I remember tackling him for the first time. I go, oh, yeah, just tackle Brad Fittler, and... <laughs> the same thing I got to do when I tackled Alfie, Alfie Langer. I go, yeah, I just tackled Alfie Langer. And, you know, it was pretty cool, you know, being a young kid and getting to do that. But um, to run out in the biggest stage of all and have um, your childhood hero next year. Yeah. Uh, he was actually defending on the same edge, which is on the right edge. Yeah, and, that. Um, yeah I'll never forget it. And then um, he scored the try and he's, I remember he's got his hand up in the air and he come over and he just like, it was me, I think, I think it was Gaz, Mark Gaznia. And Freddie and we're just like cuddling and thinking, well, how good is this? I'm actually in a Blues jersey on the State of Origin Arena with my childhood hero and other guys I used to look up to. And, um, yeah, it was just – it was so real. But one thing I got out of the whole lot of that is that the way that he applied himself. Yeah. You know, I know he was definitely the oldest in the team at the time, but he was always first on the field, last off the field, doing extras, didn't matter how he was feeling. And he did say, he goes, mate, I'll, I'll turn up. I'll be. He'd come to training some days and feel flat. You guys, yeah. well, I can't let people see that. Okay. You know, he's got to come in and he's got to have this um, buzz about him. You know, he's got to make sure he's a hundred miles an hour and he's buzzing and he, you know, people feed off that. Comes I feed back off to the leadership so, stuff, doesn't it? Yeah, and um, yeah, I remember. You know, I always tried to get on the field quickly. Yeah, I never had to get strapped back then because I was only young, had no injuries. <laughs> and, uh, so I was get out in the field as quick as I can, and um, I knew that I'd get an extra five ten minutes with Freddie by myself, just yeah. learning off him. And I thought I'm not going in until Freddie goes in. So Freddie was out in the out in the field doing bombs and doing whatever he was doing. I was catching bombs and you know uh, just passing muck around and wait for him to walk in. I just walk off the field with him and I was yeah. just trying to learn as much as I could off him and yeah, learn learn a lot of good traits off him. And but one of the biggest things is just you know turn up, be enthusiastic, have fun, rip in, and um, 
Yeah, everything else should be all right. Yeah, some great traits. Now, another big one for you, 2010, Matty Elliott, he swapped you into into the middle. Yep. Because Adam Mornay was injured, he needed a middle, and he suggested that you go into the middle. Yeah. What was your thoughts about trying to move into the forwards? Well, I played a couple of times in the middle uh, when I was playing juniors. But yeah. Never forward in my wildest dreams of doing playing first grade. But um, I was always open to the fact of just playing different positions anyway. Yeah. So when he said to me, uh, I just come back from broken finger um, and I was on the bench, he said, mate, you've got to go in the middle, play lock. And so I went in the middle, played lock, but it was awesome. Bring back so much love of the game. Got the ball in my hands. Um, you know, we, we didn't touch the ball for a little bit, had to defend. So no matter the, the way the game was going, you're yep. in the game. Yeah. You're either tackling or you're getting the ball in hand and you're actually playing some footy. Yep. Whereas in the centres or the wing, if the ball wasn't coming your way, sometimes the games would just go, the ball goes left all the time, or the ball goes right all the time, and you're depending on what edge give it is, to, you don't know if you're yeah. going to get it. And sometimes, mate, you might have all the ball, and just all night, just go, you got all the ball, it's going left all night, but you're not making any tackles. So you actually walk off the field making five or six tackles with two carries, and you've just basically just wasted the game of footy. Yeah. Whereas when you went to lock, you couldn't do that. And then um, from there, the boys actually ended up giving me the players play that night, and I thought, oh, how good is this? And then um, I never really sort of went back. Yeah. And then I uh, had the opportunity to sort of play half, 5'8". And uh, the message was pretty clear from Maddie. Maddie said, mate, go out and play football. Yep. First, I just want you to think run first. And then if you feel like kick and kick, if you feel like pass and pass, he goes, just think run first. So I went, oh, how good is this? I can run, I can kick, I can pass, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. So I just basically went out there and treated it like we were out training and mucking around and things were just coming off. Yeah. You know, we were putting kicks in, but it was hitting people, ricocheting off people and landing in Mickey Gordon's hand and he was scoring tries. <laughs> and it was, um, it was just funny how the game went. And I just absolutely loved rugby league again. And then, um, did you yeah. like the middle more than the edge? I did. I lo- lock, lock was probably my favorite position. Yeah. I absolutely loved it, but I didn't get to play there as much as I would have liked to, yep. uh, purely because, you know, the team sport and whatever's best for the team is we have to fit in. So um, whatever that they, and a lot of the coaches said, I want to play you back row and I want to play on the right edge and that's where I want to keep you. I said, yep, no drama. So um, just took it with two hands and, yeah, the rest is history, but um, I enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah, Matty Elliott was actually my last podcast guest. Yeah, right. He was an outstanding guest too. He's like so smart. He's good value in him, Matty. He's a, yeah, he knows a lot about everything and... Um, How'd you find no, his inno- personality? innovation? Because he brought in like meditation. Did yeah. you like that sort of yeah, stuff? Yeah, I did. I actually didn't mind. I actually got right into it. You bring a bloke named, by the name Matty Griggs in. I still run into Matty all the time down in um, Cronulla. Yeah. And uh, got right into his meditation. But it, it's no coincidence. I remember um, you know, 2010 and 11, I had probably two of my um, best years. Yeah, Dallium Lock of the Year. Dallium Lock of the Year. And. And before every game, before every training session, I used to get up in the morning and do a six-minute meditation just to clear the head, yep. go to training, do six minutes, um, finish training, do six minutes, and six minutes before I went to bed. So I was yeah, doing nice. about 24 minutes a day. And uh, it was actually starting – it was really working. It was just really calming me down and yep. making me real mellow and just just remembering why I'm doing it because yep. I love it and just going out and being in, being in the moment, just trying to enjoy that particular point in time. And uh, there wasn't a game that went past for two years where I didn't do it. Uh, then you obviously get caught up with other things, and yep. you go to different uh, or different staff come in, and they have different uh, you know, routines or yeah. getting ready for games. Yep. And you sort of before you know it, your game routine gets real fast, real rush. You don't have enough time to sit down for six minutes and and meditate. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah he, he was awesome, and bringing all that sort of stuff. He also bringing this one 
thing. It was a bit crazy and uh, had all the boys stand next to each other and just stare at each other like full well, stare in their off, eyes. In their eyes and that. <laughs> that was pretty intense. And uh, we used to do it at training just to practice. Yeah, yeah. And not and not to break out laughing, but yeah, we used to do it. And um, yeah, I think it sort of just bring a bit of a respect thing too, knowing that you know to your mate, I'm going to turn up for you. I'm not going to let you yeah, down. And sure. So there we go. Mm. So 2012, it's a big year for you because you leave Penrith and also you get diagnosed with cancer. First thing with leaving Penrith, when you reflect now, what was the biggest thing that you kind of learnt from from leaving your home home team club? Biggest thing I learnt, um, geez, tough question. Probably, you know, the world. Maybe the world, obviously, bigger than just being stuck in one place. Maybe I don't know. Um, yeah. Look, I, I love Penrith. I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd ever leave there. Um, I was just about to build a house. <laughs> about to pour my soul. I was probably two weeks away from pouring me dream home of a slab to get, start getting built yeah. but everything went on pause and um, you know you go go through a bit of a tough patch and um, well, everything happens for a reason everything you, happens for a you reason you talk and about living at the beach now yeah now I, I live in Cronulla it's absolutely beautiful I've got an opportunity to bring my kids up in a great area and uh, some beautiful schools and yep. good opportunities to you know get into surfing and all that sort of stuff but yeah um, I don't know probably you know just Taking every opportunity as it comes is probably what I learnt the most. Is that, yeah, one door closes, another one opens, and who knows where it's going to take you. But yeah. the amount of people and friendships that I've made outside of footy and opportunities that I've had in footy and outside of footy from uh, moving from Penrith to Cronulla have been amazing. So I uh, look back now, I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. Now to the cancer diagnosis. Like I remember because my mum had breast cancer and she's a survivor, but ever since she's beat it. Like her mindset is just—I don't know what it is. She's—it's just like she's fearless. Yeah, yeah. That's. It was your kind of approach to first being diagnosed, and now that you are over that first hump, like, what's your kind of mindset towards it now? It's funny, you know. I don't really have a mindset. I've never really looked back on it. Yeah. Um, for me, it was—it was like it was a blur. I think it went for a lot longer than for my wife and my mum and, and family members. Yeah, of but, course. Um, for me, it was just like a a two-week hiccup. It was just... As long, I know it went a bit longer, but in that two weeks, I sort of went from getting a scan, getting a biopsy, going in to see the doctor, getting yeah. half of it taken out, finding that it is fully cancer. You have to get back in the next day, get the rest taken out, seeing, having a checkup, uh, pretty happy with it, all over. Didn't get to play for Penrith for the rest of the year, which was disappointing. Would have loved to run out in the Penrith jersey for yeah, one last you know, another time. six weeks and, yeah. and get to say bye to the fans properly and thank you. Never got that opportunity. Um, but it was just sort of over there and then. And I never really looked back on it. I thought, I'm not going to worry about it. You know, it's done and dusted. Hopefully, it's uh, I just keep on top of it and fingers crossed, touch wood, nothing comes back. Yeah. And um, that was it. So that's how I've treated it. So hopefully... Um, I was going to keep treating it that way. And yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. yeah. So what was your kind of reaction? Because in the book you described that the doctors said that you might not get your strength back, man, yeah. might not get your fitness back. You know, you're, you're at the peaks of your powers. Yeah, it's funny because I was probably the fittest I'd been for a long time and I was probably, um, you know, probably at my strongest there for a while. I was feel, feeling really good. Then all of a sudden you get told you got cancer, you're not going to get back to your peak fitness. You, you know, you've got to make sure we let you know that yeah, your energy levels might not be where they need to be, this, that, and the other. And I was thinking, well, no, I'm going I'm to get back to fitness. I'm going to continue to play, and I want to, you know, prove to Camilla that they got a good buy, not a dud. Yeah. And um, 
that was sort of how I treated it. And I just sort of went back from the day that they said, you're not going to get peak fitness, you're not going to do this, you're not, you're not going to be able to do that. I went all the way back to the days where Brad Izzard told me, it's what you do away from footy. Yeah. So what I've done is I just turned up and thought, okay, that's going to take me time with this, but I'm going to be smart about it. So I turned up and done my training, and then I went and done a bit of swimming. Turned up and done my pre-season. On my days off, went and done swimming for the first sort of six weeks leading into Christmas. Over the Christmas break, I ran every day. I ran five yeah. to six K every day until I got back. So I knew that, okay, I've got the Ks back in my legs. I've got my lungs um, back to where I think I need to have them. Now I need to just run, get some Ks like right up there. So when I go back and do my fitness, I'm flying. And um, trained every day through Christmas, Christmas Day, all the way up until we went back. And then started running on the field, kept up with all the boys pretty well, felt... I was probably, you know, out in front there a bit, feeling really good. Yeah. I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm back at fitness. Let's just keep doing what I need to do. And so I trained all the way up to about a week before on my own, on the outside of, so I kept doing the stuff with the boys. But on my days off, just kept doing my stuff that I needed to do. Yeah. Um, I had a week off coming into the uh, trials, like from not doing my own stuff. And then from the trial games, I felt fine. And then I said, okay, I'm just going to take a day, uh, game by game and see how it goes and yeah. was there ever a stage where you had a doubt that you might nah, be not a doubt. No? after Christmas and I was flying I felt awesome and um, just kept trying to push harder and harder and just kept trying to get better times with my runs and um, that was it I, uh, I was confident that nah, I'll be flying I'm actually making better times than I was before I actually had me cancer so I've got no problem or no doubt that I'm going to get my fitness back that must have made you feel really so good that, that, is, that was the challenge for me was yeah. to build up for you know six to eight weeks to Christmas challenge myself over the Christmas break by myself I can, I can easy to sort of time myself and see where I'm at. And if I'm getting better each time, I knew what my fastest time was for the 5K. Yep. And I thought, okay, I just got to get back to that. So I started beat. I beat it pretty consistently. And, um, yeah, I just sort of, oh, you know what? I'm back to my peak fitness. I'm fine. So I'll be right. Let's just get the get the footy underway. And sort of took it day by, like game by game from there and tried to find my feet. And then uh, felt like I found my feet. Then I went the World Cup and then, on my shoulder yeah you did too and then I sort of had a bit of a rough trot 2014 I was sort of on and off the field I think only played roughly 8 games not a bad thing but because the whole Asada thing happened yeah there was a lot of stuff going on it was just disappointing that I couldn't help the club at that particular point in time and I was on the I was on the sideline and a lot of players come through that uh, a lot of young kids getting blooded at the same time yep. which is a good experience for them but um, I suppose it gave my body a a really good opportunity again to just sort of start again, get back to fitness, and then we have 15, 16, 17, 18, which were the most memorable. Yeah, you know, at the moment they're talking about what might happen with the Sharks, salary cap staff, and what might happen with Flano. What was it like when Flano was taken away from you guys? Yeah, for me, um, I sort of went over there because I had Flano in the junior kangaroos, and yeah, you know, I was a little bit um, disappointed that you know he had to he had to go and you know leave the club, but. Mate, I, I don't know the, all the ins and outs of what happened back then, and yeah. I suppose he had to do what he had to do. But um, yeah, look, everyone was uh, went over there because we all thought that we had a really they had a really good coaching group, uh, good coaching staff, um, good players, good crew, uh, a really strong squad, and then all, that all happened. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, I sit there and think the 2016 Grand Final was just the icing on the cake of all the hard times that we all went through together, mm. even though that. The players that actually went through it went through a lot harder times than the players who didn't. Yeah, don't get me wrong, and um, I could never really explain what they went through because I don't really know. But um, I know that we enjoyed that 16 grand final win together a lot more purely because we went through those hard times. Yeah, of course.
Now, take me to the grand final. You know, we've spoken a lot about it. You know, we're talking about the captain's run, your lead into the grand final. Now, I think the biggest thing is you're, you're quite modest, man. Like, in terms of, I think, good rugby league judges, you know, the pretty thing that happened on the field was when Andrew Fafita scored a try. The biggest moment in the game was when you didn't do that double movement when Blake Green got you. Yeah. How didn't you put, like, anyone else, mate, I'm telling you, would have went for that try. What was it that made yeah. you stop? I knew I really wanted to reach out. Um, if I had my time over again, I'd probably just go, here you go, Jimmy, he's the, give the ball back to James Maloney. But um, I didn't notice at the time. I thought I was, I was home and hose. But I knew that if I reached out, Melbourne were going to get a penalty. They kicked the ball out probably 30 out, and then they've got a, a six tackles coming into our, into our trial line. So yeah. I just couldn't do it, mate. I uh, learned over the years that it doesn't matter how many times you move, you promote that ball a little bit, it's going to be a penalty. Yeah. Um, so I just, yeah, I just don't know why. I just didn't reach out. I just knew it was the wrong thing to do at the time. And I just didn't want to put the boys under the pump at, um, in a massive game. So we talked about it all all week about, you know, just being disciplined and uh, yeah. sticking to our structures and sticking to our plan that gets us, that's got us to where we are today. So I was just trying to stick to the disciplines that Flano talked about during the, during the week. So I did, I did that. And on the flip side, I had a bet on Benny Barber to score first. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, look, it ended up working in our favour. I think we, you know, we put a kick in, uh, Melbourne knocked it out, we got a scrum and, and Benny scores and, you know, um, there's only two plays later. So, mate, it ended up working working out perfect for us. And, um, I think Sharky's grand memory. final win perfectly describes your everything happens for a reason. Absolutely. You guys are just perfect that night and 50 years. It just, I remember growing up crying every time the Sharks got taken out of this major semi-final. Yeah. And, I know you describe in the books people saying thank you to you, but yeah. that's how much it meant to everyone. Yeah, man. It does. And still today, I still even got a, I got a, a card the other day uh, saying Merry Christmas and thank you very much for bringing us back to Premiership, um, <laughs> which is pretty cool. I got a book sent to me the other day um, just saying enjoy the book, hope it brings back some memories. Um, thank you. Yeah. You know, just little things like that. I was thinking, fire, people still to this day saying thank you. So that's uh, it's pretty cool. I'm not saying congratulations, it's um, it, it means just as uh, as much to me as it does to everyone else in the Shire that supported Cronulla, which is awesome. Some of them doing it since 67, man. Like, yeah, some of them might have died without seeing it. Yeah. Realistically. And then I had another meeting with um, an awesome lady today, uh, Sue McNeil, out at the RSL, and uh, even she was saying, like, she's not a massive Cronulla fan. She's obviously a Penner fan, but mm. um, she was at the Cronulla RSL that night, and people just falling over, started crying. And just, they, you know, it's just yeah. those sort of stories is pretty cool. That last minute, you know, you describe and Chad Townsend told me as well, you guys were drilled in those 11 on 6 drills and yeah. all sorts of, like, number drills. Yeah. That last minute, like, take me through that last minute. At any stage, did you think that you couldn't cover No, not really. I never really thought we were ever going to lose. It just mm. a matter of making the tackle. Um, when you look back and you watch it on the video... What did you say at the last scrum? What was the message at the last scrum? Oh, boys, one, ta- one set. One set. One okay. set. This yeah. is the, the last set of the year. This is the last set... In history, this is the last set, <laughs> and um, everyone just, yeah, yeah. But Melbourne, yeah, as good as Melbourne are, they made us work for it. But Chaddy's right, we did do this drill, we, used, we did this drill all year 2016 that we'd have 11 attackers v five defenders, 11 attackers v six defenders, <laughs> and uh, it was full field. Um, and you just had to stop them from scoring, had to keep shutting the gate for your mate, keep turning up, and just keep keep working. If you're the wing on the other side and there was no one there, just keep turning up and just yeah. shutting the gate. And um, I don't think we got too many tries scored against us at training. And that's the only time it actually come into play. 
was the last 40 seconds of the grand final and it worked for us. So I'm just glad no one, uh, no one gave up, but we did that drill all year to make sure we made the tackle. How was it when it was you, Val, uh, Chad, Bertie, from the right side, all going to the left yeah, to try and yeah, cover, yeah. and then you all come back down because they, they, they swung it back to the left, and then obviously Ricky Vitelli. Like, when you saw Ricky Vitelli get Corabini on the ground, did you hear the siren at all? I didn't hear the siren. Oh, you didn't know? I, I seen him make the tackle, and I thought, oh, I'd just quickly get back into a line, and I was just seeing Mickey Annis run off the sideline. I was getting, oh, yeah, I just, I still can't, I still, still mind-blowing. I was just like, holy shit, we won, we won the grand final. Like, yeah, it's still been kidding me goose when I was thinking about it. Yeah, okay. Got a couple of scripted questions just to finish here, Luke. Now, the first one is just regards to coaches, because in the book, you know, you describe your, your great relationships with, like, Tim Sheens, even Phil Gould, Ricky Stewart, Laurie Daly, Flano, pretty much everyone that you've had. Yeah. Who was, in, away from rugby league, who was the coach that kind of made you think most about life? Oh, coach made me think about life in rugby league. No, no. To be honest with you, I don't, I don't think anyone really sort of made me think about life as, as much, I think, but... Um, the one I learnt the most off was probably Timmy Sheens. Yeah. Uh, Royce Simmons was was awesome for me. I only got you know to sort of be coached by Royce for three games, but always got to stay in contact with him and uh, he always you know gave me a little bits of advice here and there. Tim Sheens was uh, probably the smartest coach I've ever been coached by. But one thing I learnt off Timmy is that um, was the trust. I had a lot of trust. Yeah, uh, you know. Sheensy, I remember we had one year, he picked me and um, I probably wasn't playing my best football, but he gave me an opportunity because I, I did the job for Australia before yeah. and I just knew that I couldn't let him down. So what I learned the most off Sheensy was just, you know, if you do a job and you do it well, you'll get your opportunities. And if you, you get your opportunity and you don't take it, well, the opportunity's there for someone else to take. But he put a lot of trust in me, so I got a lot of trust back from him and... Uh, it was just a really good working relationship and um, I love playing underneath him purely because of that trust um, that we had between each other and um, I just didn't want to let him down. I didn't want to him down all the Australian jersey, all my teammates. So yeah. ended up working probably in my favour the most. Yeah, in saying that, because you built some great relationships over your entire career, now that you kind of maybe want to enter the business world or maybe the media, what do you think the key is to building good relationships? Um, I think best um, for what I've learned the most is having being genuine yep. um, being able to take the piss out of each other yep. and not taking too much to heart and being able to sort of be up front and sort of say mate pull your head in and not be able to sort of take it the wrong way someone can tell you, you know, a bit of uh, constructive criticism and yep. actually take them on the chin but at the same time um, be able to take the piss out of each other and have fun at the end of the day, I think if you can do that and have a really good, you end up building a really good relationship um, in business and outside of business, and it becomes more of a mateship than it does become more of a working relationship. Mm, great answer. All right, in the book you describe how you meet your lovely wife Sonia. Now, in the book you also describe that she was kind of wanted away from footy players, <laughs> but you don't say how you actually asked her out on a date. How did you get her to? How did you convince her to go out with you? It was funny. Uh, I come back from two thousand three kangaroo tour. Um, sort of coming into 2004, towards the end of the sort of year, end of 2003. I seen her at Panthers actually, and she was at the top of the escalator. I remember it pretty clear, and I was coming down the escalator with my mate, Matty. Yeah. 
And I said to Maddie, I said, oh, this, yeah, I'll marry that chick one day. And he goes, you're freaking off your head, mate. I said, come on and go up and see if we get a number. <laughs> Full of confidence back then, young kids, you know. Anyways, I went up and asked for a number. She said, what do you want a number for? I said, oh, maybe we just go out and catch up. Oh, no, I don't give me a number out. I said, oh, okay, no drivers. Thanks very much. Yeah, have a good night. Like that. Anyway, we walked off and he goes, you're an idiot. And we just had a little bit of banner. He took the piss out of me. And then a couple of weeks later, and she ended up getting in contact with me. I don't know how she got my number or how it worked out. And yeah, we just had a chat on the phone and ended up catching up. And um, yeah, that was basically it. Then we went and, you know, we just had our, had our license, shared the license. We ended up driving out and meeting somewhere and yep. uh, just sort of had a chat, just sitting down in the car park um, out at uh, Prospect there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just had a, that was it. Had a coffee and um, <laughs> we just sort of kicked it off from there and made yeah. a pretty good friendship and so uh, the key, started the contact. For rejection, mate. Yeah, I think so. And, and believe, and just, and yeah, just believe it. Like we made, we made. Um, he done his best man speech at Maddie, and he was there the night. Obviously, it all happened. Yeah. And uh, he did say he actually said because I did say I'm going to marry that chick. But he's running joke is yeah, but he said it about three other Sheila's the same night. But, um, I literally did say yeah. like that I say to him that night that um, I'm gonna marry her. It's a lot of attraction thing again, mate. You're talking around the world. It's right? weird, mate. So many so many weird things. And the more you think back about how how, how things work out, yeah, it keeps going back to that law of attraction, it's crazy. Yeah. Alright, next one. What was your favourite ground away from Shark Park and Panthers? What was your favourite ground to play on? And did you have a hoodoo or a place that you didn't like to play at? I hated playing at Melbourne because I could never win. Which one? Any of them? Well, Olympic Park. Yeah. Melbourne Olympic Park, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, never won a game there. Most games you got beat there by 40 plus. Yeah. Um, uh, what else? Never really beat Melbourne until sort of 2000 and first game 2016 because the first time I really beat them. Good. That I could remember. Good thing we beat them in the grand final. Yeah, we beat them in the grand final. So I wasn't, um, I was just glad that we got the win during the year. They beat us, we beat them one, they beat us one, and then we got them in 2016. But um, yeah, I can't go past Penrith Park and Shark Park for purely because of their home ground. But I still believe, you know, Penrith Park is probably the best ground underfoot. Awesome stadium to play at. But away from those two fields, yep. Suncorp. Just the way that uh, you're playing, running out there, Origin Arena. The, the way that the fans you know, support Queensland obviously uh, just they're on top of you yeah. you box right in and you feel like you know, I think it holds 40 something thousand or 50 thousand whatever it is but it feels like there's 100 thousand people in there so uh, Suncorp would probably be the other stadium I love that yeah. have, you, have you driven past the new one at Parramatta? I haven't but I've seen pictures of it it looks oh, amazing so, you might have to suggest they make a Legends game or something yeah, so you can have a run yeah it'd be nice but um yeah, look, I'll uh, definitely get out there and watch a game and um, and experience it that way. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, for sure. All right, final question, Luke. Now it's my dinner party question. Now you're going to be hosting a private dinner party. You've got five invites. Yeah. Now only for rules, no family or friends, but you can invite anyone dead or alive. Who would you like to invite? Oh, yeah, that's a tough, tough question. One. Yeah. Sorry, Luke. Oh, I'd definitely have The Rock. Um, Do you watch balls? I love balls, yeah. <laughs> that? Great show. I'd have the rock there. I just think he's a pretty cool dude, and he's sort yeah. of, I love everything about him. He trains hard, works hard. Mm. I love the story where he come from. I'd have um, Tom Brady. I just love his story. Um, you know where he's come from and uh, the opportunities that he's had and hadn't been given. Um, I love Blake Lively. So I'd have Blake Lively there. Uh, who else would I have? You know what? Um, maybe Michael Jordan. I think he's yeah, a good one. Absolute um, legend, businessman, 
could learn a lot off. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, maybe like uh, Kevin Hart. He's awesome. Yeah, he's a great. Get him to come in and just sort of keep it pretty light-hearted and have a bit of fun. Yeah, for sure. Well, Luke, really appreciate you joining me today. Before I let you leave, everyone get following Luke. He's on Instagram at l underscore Louis. And more importantly, pick up the book. I picked it up at Big W. They've got them stocks around the country at the moment. So definitely go in there. Or I looked online. You can get them at Booktopia. So it's an easy way to get them. Anything else you want to mention there, Luke? No, not at all. But um, no, thanks for having me. I appreciate no, it. Absolutely. Good, good afternoon. And guys, that was Luke Lewis. Definitely, like I said, highly recommend you pick up his book, whether it's a present for dad, your husband, your brother. I think anyone will actually like it. Footy, footy fans will absolutely fall in love with it. If you grew up in the Western Sydney, again, little stories that only you will kind of get. So definitely, I think the book, the book when I bought it was only $20 at Big W. So they had a whole heap. I bought them when I went to visit my parents on the weekend out Blacktown Way. So we've got plenty at Blacktown West Point. I know also they're stocked up at Miranda and also Rouse Hill. So check your local big w out it's definitely got it in there or i'll have the link in the show notes you can definitely get it at booktopia as well and i'm sure that over the coming month or so it will be found at all good bookstores all right guys thank you again for 2018 couldn't have done it without you please if you can keep sharing the show with your family and friends i'll continue to bring awesome guests like louis on the show Already recorded plenty for 2000 and the start of 2019, but always up for suggestions or even just reach out if you're listening to the show. I'm always appreciative to really just interact with all the listeners. So send me an email, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com or hit me up on Twitter or Facebook. The page is at TalkingWithTK. Tristan Nell across my Instagram, but I'd love to hear from you. And yeah, all the back up in the next couple of weeks, if you haven't listened to some of the back catalogue, definitely check it out at www.talkingwithtk.com. All right, guys, that's it for this week. You guys have a safe Christmas, a big happy new year, and I'll see you on the 8th of January with more exciting stories from our heroes from Australian and New Zealand sports. For now, I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking With TK. Talking With TK.